Good evening to our listeners and neighbors. Coming to you live from the 215 here in Germantown, you are listening to the award-winning InfoHub Hour with Rashida Jamu, aka Philly's Freedom John. The InfoHub Hour is all about news and engagement in Germantown. You can check out what's going on by visiting our website at germantowninfohub.org. Movements in 2022 should be no surprise when hashtags and phrases like Black Lives Matter, Me Too, and more have helped contribute to our political and social landscapes for the past decade. And while adults are commonly the most prominent voices of those movements, one group based in Northwest section of Philly sets out to give young people, their parents, and their teachers the tools they need to be in the know and how to identify problems like racism and anti-Blackness in their everyday lives. On today's show, we are speaking to two group members and organizers of the Philly Children's Movement about the movement and some of the work they've been doing lately. So right now I have with me the members of the Philadelphia Children's Movement core group, Sharice Moses and Ty Johnson. Welcome to the Info Hub Hour, folks. How are you both doing today? I am amazing. Thank you for having us. Thank you. Same. Feeling good. Feeling great. Feeling great. Feeling good. How are you? I'm doing good. I'm feeling excellent, to be honest. Um, it's a really nice day out. It's The weather is going up. <laughs> so what more can yes. I ask for? Um, <laughs> so I said your names, but I would love it if each of you could just fully introduce yourself to our listeners and just tell us a little bit more about your background, maybe what you do now, how you got involved with the Philadelphia Children's Movement. And yeah, as like a founding member, Sharice, maybe you want to start. Okay. So my name is Sharice Moses. I am a mother of three. Um, my oldest son is autistic. I got started with, <laughs> well, we used to be Philly Children's March. Um, and then we realized that, you know, we weren't just about marching. So we were really about moving the needle within the movement. So we updated our name to Philly Children's Movement. Uh, what got me started really was, Jen had this meeting, Jen Bradley had a meeting at her house. We used to call it Wayne Manor um, in Chestnut Hill. And it was just a collaboration of so many different people from so many different walks of life. And it was just a forum where we were able to speak candidly and passionately with one another. And it just opened up a door exposing some of the need that we were having in the community. And then, uh, unfortunately, with the passing of Trayvon Martin and Tamir Rice and Eric Garner and just, you know, so many lives that have been taken, we just decided that, you know, we needed to have these conversations with our children because they are watching and they're paying attention. So that's really how we got started. And then we, you know, we had a march and then it just kind of went from there. Um, and it has just been an amazing ride, if you will, since then. Uh, you asked me, what do I do now? Wait, I was thinking like, wait a minute. <laughs> All good. <laughs> what do I do now? Oh, my goodness. There's so many things that I do now. I'm still very active with PCM, still very active with moving the needle within, you know, Black Lives Matter still raising my children who I always jokingly say are always available for rehoming and uh and growing and growing my my travel <laughs> business 
and just growing. Ultimately, I like to just say I'm constantly evolving. I love that. So I'll pass it on to Ty. <laughs> Thank you for that, Reese. Um, it's really helpful for, for me to hear a lot of the background as well. I'm a newer core member to PCM. Uh, I am an educator, I'm a writer, I'm an activist, um, I'm a mover and a shaker. I'm originally from Northern New Jersey, but I've lived in quite a few different places. Um, I've been in Philly for 12 years now. Um, I got introduced to PCM in a really unique way. I was having a lot of like negative experiences with uh, school with, with some of my school leaders. Um, my background is in education. I've been a teacher. I've been a, I've been a school leader. I've been an assistant principal, um, and the experiences were really with white women and a black man to a degree. And I really didn't have a voice. Like I, I knew that I was having these experiences. I knew that they were negative. I knew that they were like really damaging and traumatizing. And I didn't have a way to address them, to act, to speak to them. And someone that I know told me about uh, Jim Bradley and has suggested that, you know, I reach out, um, and that she may have an opportunity for me to, you know, uh, speak about my experiences and, and also educate myself about the realities of what I was experiencing. Like, Ty, you're not making this up. Like this, you know, this is racial stress. This is racial injustice. These are microaggressions. These are biases that you are experiencing. I didn't have the language to, to match what, I, what was happening around me. Um, so I've been active in PCM for like, I think three years now. So I think it's not even fair to say I'm a new member, but I'm still learning. I'm a, I'm a lifelong learner. Um, what I do now, I work for an organization called Partners in School Innovation. Um, I think it's a fancy way of saying like I'm a school consultant. I work with leaders and coaches, uh, leaders and teachers around equity in schools. Um, I do projects with PCM on the side. Um, I do workshops and um, facilitate things around racial justice, white supremacy, anti-Blackness, all that jazz, basically. <laughs> Thank you both for that. And it, so it honestly just sounds like as much as this is a space to like uplift and empower youth, it also seems like it's also a way for some of you all also to connect and let your hair down and connect on a much deeper level. Absolutely. Agree. Agree. Like before we got on the call, Reese, I don't know if you heard, but I was so hyped. I was like, yes, it, we, I have not had a minute. Like I have, I had a minute with you like one-on-one, -on -one, but um, yes, I, I would definitely say it's an opportunity to just be you, do you and connect in an authentic way for sure. I would definitely say that, you know, one of the things that just makes us stay together is the camaraderie. Right. So when we started PCM, my kids, I think my daughter wasn't even born. My daughter is now six and we've been together. You know, the core group has been together through children, through marriages and divorces and just life in general. So we're really more like a family uh, and adding Ty and, and Luca most recently to I don't even want to say most recently because, you know, I don't even have to talk to Ty all the time. We don't. And I'll be honest and say we don't we do workshops together. We do work together that but that doesn't always afford us the ability to, you know, speak on personal levels. But that connection that we've all established with one another is really so deep. 
And it just allows us to say, okay, you know, if Ty is going through something or if, you know, we, we show up at an event and it's like, what's going on? You know, we just know. And, and that ability is what keeps us going. That synergy is what keeps us going because we're such a close-knit family. We're not just an organization. We really are more like family. So that's one of the things that really keeps us going and continue to desire to move the needle. Mm-hmm. So it seems like you both have really extensive backgrounds that seem really suitable for this specific work, right? Um, and so like, with that said, why children? Why the focus on children? Because again, me, before we started this conversation, I said, I told you that I appreciated this work because there feels like that's, it could feel like it's a niche thing, but it's really not. And it's something that's mm-hmm. actually, I feel is actually essential. Um, right. And so, yeah. So why children? Honestly, because, you know, we were, we're all moms, you know, those of us who were, who started, you know, in the core group, we're all mothers. Um, some of us, you know, have biracial children. Some of us have white children. Some of us have black children. So having to have those conversations, those hard conversations, we are, uh, most of us are centered in the Northwest section of the city, Mount Airy, Chestnut Hill, Germantown. And, you know, we experience racism on a daily basis. And it was a conversation of like, you know, how do I talk to my children about it in a way that, gives them space and gives them verbiage to to discuss their feelings because they see it, right? A lot of times when we're talking about children, people are like, oh, these kids don't have any idea. That's absolutely not true. Absolutely you know, false. My, exactly. You know, these kids, they, they can hear the news, they watch the news, they get just as concerned as adults. So oftentimes we, we, we've operated previously out of a space of like shooing our kids away. Um, and then when they get to a certain age, having the quote unquote air quotes here talk, right. It's particularly when you have black boys. Um, so just realizing that we got to have these conversations and we have to figure out a way that it's structured so that other people can figure out how to have these conversations because we realize so many people are like, I, I, I want to have them, but I don't really know what to say. What do I do? Where do I start? And just saying, okay, so let's figure it out and let's figure it out together. And that's, that's really what, you know, prompted us to say, okay, we need that. We have kids and we need to talk to our kids. Uh, so that's kind of what, you know, my perspective is. Sharice, that's powerful. I needed you to like lead with that because I think it is about like the conversations, like the need to develop shared language. Um, you know, for me as a school leader, as an educator, the energy, you know, kids come with with energy, especially Black children. Mm-hmm. Um, that's not tapped. Um, they have a desire to speak about these experiences and they don't know how they might be fearful. You know, like as an adult, I didn't know how and I was fearful. And I just think about if I knew the language if and, I, and if I knew the approach, I would be better off now um, than I was back Ooh. then. And yeah. I think also joy, right? Like that's one of the things that we that's shared between the group, between the core group. We are about that joy. We are bringing the joy. And having these conversations are not always about like the struggle. Yes. And like, oh my God, working twice as hard. It's about, no, let's celebrate your beauty. 
Let's celebrate your energy. Let's, let's celebrate your passion. Let's celebrate your vision. Let's celebrate your perspective because it matters. So, you know, that's why kids and children for me. And, and again, like the conversations, right? Like we want to have them, but we, we don't know. And our work is geared towards supporting people to have those conversations. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think to interject, um, the other thing is we, you know, it's easy, like Ty said, for us to get bogged down with the talk and the struggles. But we also realized that our children needed to know that they are beautiful, that they matter, that they're important in ways that weren't centered around the harshness. And, you know, children are free until we put our ideals into them. So we also, you know, like Ty said, we also wanted to create a space where they could just be and just be free and just be children and, and have representation. You know, we read books to our kids. We've done book drives. We do the little library. We do those things because we want our kids to see that joy and that happiness and know that, yes, you smile just like everyone else and you're beautiful just like everyone else. And that's also equally important. So thank you, Ty. That's a very, very valid point. I agree. I really do agree. And I think that that's why I find this work so fascinating, um, because one of the things that's actually mentioned on the website is that like children's marches and the involvement in movement spaces is something that's always been a thing. And I know that to be true. Mm -hmm. um, and reading that specifically took me back to a time where I was learning about the Children's Crusade in the early 60s. I think mm -hmm. it was like 1963 mm -hmm. um, during the civil rights era. And so, as we know, those actions actually helped make way for the Civil Rights Act of 1964. And Absolutely. so I see a lot of connections to not only this work, but even like at a larger scale, like BLM, right? Um, and when I was in high school, the BLM movement actually emerged in 2012 in response to the tragic death, of course, of Trayvon Martin, which left a family without their child, um, who at the time represented somebody like me. And mm -hmm. so I remember feeling the spirit of like mobilization by this, especially with the rise of the ongoing news cycle. Um, but we didn't always have things like, you know, PCM to do this kind of work. Um, so I guess what I want to know is, why is it important to instill this kind of knowledge and practice around anti-racism, anti-Blackness and the like in children, right? And why is it important that we allow them the autonomy to, because one of the things you said was that they're free until, until we instill the ideals. And I love that. Um, why do we allow them the autonomy to be a part of this movement and represent themselves? Wow, that is... <laughs> That's a mouthful. That's a great question, though. I know. I'm sorry. I, that's why, no. again, the work, like, when I when I actually was, like, on the website and I was, like, just doing a little bit more digging, I was like, wow, like, this is really powerful stuff. And it's just something that I feel like should have been practiced for such a long time. And, like, the fact that y'all are stepping up to do it is just, like, I have a million and one questions. But, of course, I'm going to condense it for the interview. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I would love to answer all of your questions. And it's it's interesting that you brought up the Children's Crusade, right? Because that's something that as we discuss the civil rights movement, it is often overlooked, right? Children are often overlooked in the movement as a whole and the roles that they played. And it's easy to say, you know, oh, the kids back then were seen and not heard. Absolutely not. They absolutely were not just seen and not heard. And that, that, thought process, you know, is, is so pervasive in a lot of our communities that we realize that, you know, as parents, 
collectively in our group um, and educators, because Ty and Luca are not parents just yet, um, even though they're uncles and aunties to our kids. Um, but just being able to say like, listen, you have a voice. Let me teach you how to use it. Because that's the tougher part, right? A lot of times I think as a parent, people look at children and go, they have a voice, but I'm not sure how to give it to them. And we don't look at children and realize that they have to become adults. And we often categorize kids as a very specific thing without realizing they're really just little, little people who we mold. So as we look at this movement and realize just how pivotal children are, and if we can get in early and really start having these conversations and really start showing them, you know, that we can celebrate the differences, right? Because little kids will say things like, oh, that lady's not white, she's pink. Oh, she's not brown, you know, she's another color. Like my kids would, like, I'm light-skinned. Um, you can't see me, but I'm light-skinned. And my kids would be like, you're white. And I'd be like, I I'm not white. I'm just, I'm just light-skinned, but thank you. Um, but then as I, as they grew, I began to give them words to describe what they were seeing and describe how they were feeling. And that is why we do what we do. Because as we begin to give them them verbiage, as we begin to give them the information that they already are seeing, they're just not necessarily sure how to, 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 to articulate it. They begin to see things differently and they begin to understand how to process what they see. So that's what makes our, our mission so important because they have a voice. And honestly, you know, as Khalil Gibran would say, our children are our, our arrows into the future. So if we don't give them a voice, if we don't give them the space, you know, they become, you know, us, you know, where like Ty said, he's like, you know, I was experiencing all these things and I had no idea what to do with this information that I had. I didn't know that there were words. I didn't know what I didn't know. I just knew how I felt. But if he had someone at a young age telling him, you know, this is what you, what you are experiencing Israel, you're not crazy. Imagine how much farther he could have moved the needle. And I'm not saying he hasn't already, but just imagine. So when we look at the movement like Black Lives Matter and, and how it originated and just the demographic of BLM for an example, it's a lot of young people who just said, okay, so we're not all crazy. Like it's all of us. And then they're like, all right. And then, then here comes BLM, you know? So children really are the future. They really are a, 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 an area that we need to make sure that we're cultivating in healthy ways and giving them voices and, and verbiage so that they can adjust and adapt as adults. And that's really what we do here at PCM. Yeah. Um, I definitely am thinking about like the messages that some of of our children, like black children have to unlearn around like speaking up, taking up space, right? It's like, just keep your head down. Like you just better shut your mouth and do like what the teacher says. You want that job. So you better keep your head down. You know, black people always have it hard. Black people always have it hard. And I, I think that that's not true. And I appreciate you bringing up some of the historical stuff because when I think about, you know, Philly, the background in Philly, as I learn more and more about Philly and embrace the culture and the history here, this is a phenomenal city where people have been organizing and speaking up and, and, and such for years. And I think, you know, beyond the language that we want to give kids, we also help them with other tools like art, 
right? Like there are other ways to express yourself be, besides like, you know, speaking up or standing up, right? Like we do cake making, we do chalking the walk, we do, you know, last summer we did bring in the bring in the joy pop-up series where we kind of popped up in Northwest Philly at different playgrounds and had kids just do like whoever we could get, you know, let's teach them about racial justice. Let's teach them about organizing. Let's teach them about uh, being crafty and like putting their message and leaving their stamp and having their voice heard in different ways outside of, you know, just speaking out of your mouth, you know, I introduce myself as a writer. And I think that that's one way that I'm also trying to express myself via writing. And I'll end by saying that I think that our work also touches parents, you know, like there are parents mm -hmm. who also need to learn language and there are parents who need to get involved and there are parents who have kids who are experiencing real things and they don't know how to act. They don't know what to say. They don't know what to do. They don't know. They don't know how to keep moving. It's like, this is not, this is not the only time your child is going to experience X, Y, Z. This might be an ongoing thing. And it's, and, and there are ways to be proactive about it. There are ways to, uh, you know, motivate other people and inspire school communities and your own community to action, um, to, to know that like you, you are going to take up space. We, we here, right? Like us, like, uh, Ursula Berker was saying like, we're, we're here. We're not, mm -hmm. not going anywhere. Yeah. I thank you both for that. Um, and I really appreciate both of your candor and just overall expression regarding that question, because I know just in general, that can be really heavy to answer on things of things, I mean, you know, things of that nature. Um, and just so on a lighter note or another note, not necessarily lighter, to be honest, a few <laughs> weeks ago on May Day, um, the, the Philly Children's Movement unveiled their newest project, which was the Radical Little Library, which is located right next to the community fridge on Armat Street outside of the Green Street Friends School. And so I just wanna talk about that a little bit. Um, who came up like with the idea? Are you hoping to expand that into other parts of the city and the neighborhood? You know. I'll let Ty take the lead on that one because I love that. I just, I love that we do that. But go ahead, Ty. If I'm being honest, I think that there are a lot of ideas that like kind of come about like in the group or small group and somehow like things just like pop up like, all right, child, we're about to do this like library. I think that has been a conversation about like, you know, how do we occupy a space? How do we push literature? Like uh, literacy is our thing. It's one of the things that we really value. Um, I think the goal is uh, really shifting the narrative, uh, really uh, changing the dominant narrative. Like a lot of books and things of such that are out there are from white people. It's like white people telling our stories. So this is an opportunity for like us to impact the narrative for kids to learn about the experiences of black and brown children by black and brown authors. Um, you know, my goal with this project is to really think about our impact. Like I really want to get deeper. Like I really want to get kids writing. I really want to get some projects. I really want the community to see that this work is impactful. Like this is just not us. Uh, hooting and hollering about the Black experience. <laughs> this is really us celebrating like the Black experience and teaching children and other communities about the Black experience. I would love if this moved beyond the Germantown area, but the reality is like manpower is a thing. Like in West Philly, there are small libraries where people can go and like get books. It's like, you know, take one, put one there. And I know it's just, it's, it's just rich. And I think 
that this has the potential to be really rich. Absolutely. And it's, it's interesting because, you know, as we, we look, what we do a lot of is looking around and seeing, okay, where, what's a space that we can move in? You know, we're always looking to be progressive and, you know, like Ty said in West Philly, they have little libraries. We also have them here uptown and just looking and going a lot of these books, you know, they don't, they're free and, you know, free is important, but the content is not necessarily always what our kids need to see. And if we put more of these out here that are free, that talk about joy, that talk about, you know, celebrating what you look like, what you, what your hair is like, what your feet are like and things of that nature from people who look like you, who sound like you, it, it, it helps to you. It helps you to say, wow, I really, really matter. And again, that's that's who we are at our core. We want our kids, black, brown, and other, to know you matter just as much as everyone else. So with the radical, with the, the little libraries, you know, it, it starts there. And then we're like, okay, so you know, what else can we do? And so we're looking to expand that. Um, we then we started a garden because that's another area, you know, so we're just always like okay what can we do to show children that we're that we are not monolithic that our joy is not just centered around one central thing and 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 making sure that they have those creative outlets like Ty said earlier you know when we're doing different events it's not always that's why another reason why we changed our name from march because the movement isn't always just about marching you know, the movement is about exactly. so many different things, whether it's writing, whether it's acting, whether it's singing, whether it's, you know, just cleaning up your corner, whatever that looks like. We wanted to be all inclusive of that. And part of that mission is reading. You know, we, we have a lot of educators uh, in our group who are always talking about making sure that our kids can't, first of all, can read because how many of our children are failed by their school district? Mm -hmm um are are failed by the school district so they 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 have some deficiencies in reading so if we give them things that are exciting that they want to read that also gives them the the desire to read so that was another you know reason why kind of why we did some of it well i think the idea is really lovely and it's very action oriented that's one of the things too I know as somebody who used to go to the Coleman library, it wasn't always a problem, but sometimes just that idea of having to get a library card, I grew up with a disabled grandmother. So I wasn't always able to get all the things that everybody else was able to get, something mm -hmm. as simple as library card. And so I think that even just having that little library is like, it breaks down that middleman that you have to have even some kind of, mm -hmm. I wanna say, it just makes the access easier. It right, and it, it, man it, it makes everything stigma. accessible. Yep, exactly, exactly that. Absolutely. Well, um, and so yeah, it just seems like the Philly Children's Movement is just out here working, which we love. Um, <laughs> and another thing that I really just quickly did want to uplift and have our listeners learn a little bit more about is that there are online toolkits that y'all offer, and those really Absolutely. seem like a great resource. And I would love if y'all could elaborate on that. <laughs> well. I mean, I'll let, see, I don't want to do all the talking, so I'm going to let, I'm going to defer to Ty. It's all good. I was going to say, even if y'all, sometimes you say something, um, Ty might be moved, or Ty might say something, you might be moved. It, yeah, it's all good. Yeah. <laughs> um, definitely, 
you know, one of the beauty, like the, the, for me, the biggest thing in our work is around the organizing, is around the resources for parents and, and kids. So making sure that we have resources available to kids online or how you, how you talk about topics related to race and gender with your children um, is very, very important. Like, what does it look like at school? What could it look like in the home? What could it look like uh, between friends? Um, and I think, um, as you mentioned earlier, access is so important. We really want more of our Black families to be able to access these materials. Um, we're finding that there are other folks who, you know, reach out and they want to have these conversations. But we also want to make sure that our Black families are able to have these conversations as well. So if you go on our website, you will find toolkits about talking about these topics. Again, like what does it look like in the home? What are read alouds you can use? What are articles you can use? What are some language that you should be aware of to really uh, maintain these conversations and make sure that like you're not using words that are harmful or perpetuate a certain mindset that doesn't move us forward. Right. Mm -hmm. I would say also, you know, one of the things that, we often deal with, you know, you, you touched on this a little bit before, you know, is access, right? So we go to these schools in our neighborhood and sometimes not in our neighborhood where our teachers don't look like us and their ability to relate to us is limited. So we wanted to help teachers and educators and, and parents to also figure out how you, you know, if you consider yourself an ally, right, as a, as a non, um, as a white person, I'm just going to call the thing a thing, right? As a white person, how do you have these conversations? How can you be an ally? Because that's another question that we often get. And people were like, I want to be here, but I'm not sure what that looks like. So we have those toolkits, we have workshops available to kind of give voice to that as well how you can be an ally and understanding that it's again that's another thing that is not monolithic because so many people are like oh in order to be an ally I gotta march no you don't have to march sometimes it's just saying I'm gonna stand here with you if something happens or if I see something I'm gonna say something or I'm just gonna befriend you because you know that's a difficult space for me um so we wanted to also help others who are wanting to partner with and, and, and align themselves with our movement, but aren't really sure how to. And, and making sure that they could begin to shift what they're seeing and what and how they're feeling about it. Because, you know, I, I can tell you there was a workshop that I that we did, um, I want to say like in the middle of the pandemic where no one was going anywhere. And there was a white woman who was like, I, you know, one of the challenges in that workshop was. I, we wanted people to observe like how many black people do you encounter in a day, which seems kind of weird, but you know, when you have these racial conversations, right. And you get somebody who's like, I have five black friends. And you're like, that sounds really racist because we're not, we're not going to do these workshops and do these toolkits and not be completely honest. Right. And when the white woman realized, she was like, I don't think I encounter any black people in a day really that, you know, I had ever really thought about. And mm -hmm. so having that conversation it exposed her to so many things and her group really went back and was like oh my god we got some work to do and so that's why we do the toolkits you know that was that's why they're also just as important 
you know, to making a change with the systemic racism that we all encounter, the microaggressions that we encounter every day. So we wanted to also give space to people who were like, I don't really know what to do. I don't know what to say. Where do I start? How do I do it? We wanted to give them some framework to do that as well. This is really good stuff. It's good, 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 good stuff. Um, and I think that's really it. I was going to say, well, Sharice and Ty, it has really been a pleasure speaking with both of you about the efforts of the Philadelphia Children's Movement. Thank you. Um, is there any last remarks y'all have? Well, first, I want to say thank you, Rashid. I really, really appreciate, you know, giving us the opportunity to to speak in a new in a new way. Um, but I think that, you know, really what we want is for people to support, to go to our website, phillychildrensmovement.org, um, and really start having those conversations that are tough. Start moving in ways that are different, um, understanding that, you know, our, our, our movement is not just marches. It's not just one thing or another. It really is all-encompassing. Um, and, and really just reach out to us so that we can help, you know, you anyone have new ideas um to 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 align themselves with the movement no i just also say you can follow us on instagram at philly children's movement um on instagram um i'm so grateful that we've been that we were able to speak about the work the scope of the work the purpose of the work you know like as uh ursula rucker says we still here we out here you know yes. we enjoy we still here we still here, we still here. We teaching, we learning, we coming together, we playing, we building, like we moving our community, we're moving communities, not just our community, but we're moving communities forward. That's what we are about. Thank you. Mm -hmm. So for folks who are looking to learn more about Philly Children's Movement, you can visit phillychildrensmovement.org online, or you can check them out on Instagram. And as a reminder, I encourage folks to stop by the Radical Little Library and drop off and yeah, pick up a book. Uh, Ty and Sharice, once again, just thank you. And I look forward to talking to you soon and sharing space, okay? Absolutely. All Have right. Y'all be well. You as well. For our last segment today, the Germantown Info Hub is inviting the bereavement care provider from the Philadelphia Department of Public Health's Division of Substance Use Prevention and Harm Reduction, Caitlin Warden. Caitlin organized an event with the support of the Friends of Vernon Park to put on this event on Saturday, May 14th, named Always Beside You. This is set to be a call to action that looks to destigmatize losing a loved one to drug use through connection and collective grief. So without further delay, let's invite Caitlin Warden onto the show. Okay, so Caitlin, it is so good to have you on the Info Hub Hour for the first time ever. Mm -hmm. So how does it feel Thank to you be for in me. such an exclusive space like ours? Oh, yeah. No, I mean, I feel very honored to be on this radio show, to be talking with you. I think um, our conversations that we've had have brought me so much like joy and hope. And like, uh, I'm just so excited to be with you today. Thanks for having me. <laughs> Great, thank you for that. I was kidding, but it's not an exclusive space, but I do appreciate it. I know that. I know that. <laughs> but in I general, mean, how are know, you today, though? I'm well, yeah. I'm really excited and, you know, um, 
excited for the event on Saturday. I've been doing a lot of planning and, you know, connecting with people in Germantown over the week and just kind of getting everything together. And, you know, the more people I talk to, the more people seem to be really excited about what we're doing. And I can't wait to tell you more about it. I love that. So it's good to hear. It's good to also just share the space with you. So just tell our Mm -hmm. listeners a little bit more about yourself before we actually go into the event. Of course. Yeah. So um, uh, my name is Caitlin Warden and I am a licensed social worker, but my title is um, bereavement care provider. I work jointly with the medical examiner's office in Philly and the uh, division of substance use prevention and harm reduction, which is within the department of public health in the city. Um, And that team is doing a lot of work um, to prevent overdoses. And um, I am the one that calls, and my team of of folks, we call the families in Philly that have lost people to an overdose. And we can provide them free grief counseling, limited just because of how many people are affected, but also support groups, educational workshops, just trying to connect people one-on-one with like other peers that have lost a sim- had a similar loss, like their partner or, or something like that. So um, that's kind of what I do on a day to day, but I'm trying to get more into outreach and doing events um, in various communities around Philly um, that are impacted most by the opioid epidemic drug epidemic. Thank you so much for that. Mm-hmm. And so now I've heard, I heard harm reduction. So I think that's the term mm-hmm. that just should be defined. So if you wouldn't mind mm-hmm. doing so, and not even like necessarily giving us that textbook definition, but just from the point of view of the work that you do. Yeah. Keeping it real. Yeah. Um, so harm reduction is something that we all do pretty much every day and we don't really even think about it like seat belts in your car is considered harm reduction because we are doing things every day that are potentially dangerous and so we take precautions that we know will keep us alive keep us safer driving a car historically like not not so safe. I mean, especially in Philly. Um, <laughs> okay, the potholes. And the you've seen the right exactly potholes. <laughs> other drivers. Everybody's getting somewhere that's more important than where you're getting to. Um, including me. Sorry if you've met me on the road. But um, anyway, that's an example of harm reduction. So basically, when it comes to drug use, the idea is we recognize that people are not people that use drugs don't necessarily want to stop using drugs or they're just not ready to stop yet for any type of reason. And so basically the idea of harm reduction is that we can't help you to get sober, especially if that's not your goal, but we do want to keep you alive period. And, you know, keep you safe while using drugs until that is that is your goal or until you live a long, happy life and, you know, don't die from drugs, <laughs> if that makes sense. So 
the idea is like Narcan, which I'm sure many people listening to this have heard of, um, is an example of harm reduction because it's like, okay, if you are going to use drugs, have Narcan so that if something bad happens, you can revive someone or at least get them to a point where like they're able to be saved at a hospital or something. Um, fentanyl test strips, same deal. Test your drugs, test your Coke, test your perks, test everything, make sure that it doesn't have fentanyl in it. Or if it does and you want that, then you know, I guess. But um, it's basically the idea of like, same thing as a seatbelt, just in case something bad happens, that's why we wear it. Um, even as simple as don't use alone. Mm-hmm. Because you wouldn't believe the amount of people that use drugs just alone in their house. I mean, it makes sense, right? Like you've had a stressful day, something's gone on, you want to relax at home. And some people's way of doing that is using their drug of choice. But using alone means that if you know it is unsafe and you do end up overdosing or having a heart attack or something of that nature, then you'd want somebody there to be able to either administer Narcan or call an ambulance or just do whatever needs to be done. So even just using with somebody else um, is an example of harm reduction. Does that make sense? That makes a lot of sense. So me specifically, I actually am in the process of reading this book and it's called Drug Use for Grownups. And it's by this guy named Oh Dr. yeah. Hart. And so it's a mm-hmm. really, really, really good book that kind of like just talks about how like in a sense where it's not necessarily telling people to go do drugs, but if you do drugs, like I remember three specific things like popped out was like administration. So how you administer it, knowing how much of what and like is inside of your drug to know the dosage amount and then like set and setting. So where you do it at, who you do it around, do you feel safe when you do it? Or are you like already like in a paranoid state of mind? Cause that could enhance it depending on, you know, the effects that drugs have on people is very different to different people. Um, but that makes a lot of sense. And so again, harm reduction is something that is not just in the world of drugs. It just, the, the, the phrase and the term has only been attributed to that. However, that could stand for really anything again. It really could. Yeah. You use the, the, um, the car metaphor. And I thought Mm -hmm. that's perfectly put because you actually have way more accidents from cars than you probably do from overdoses um and like people just don't actually identify that so right um I think that was amazing I think I I really do thank you for that so yeah of course you know this Saturday you've organized this event it's called Always Beside You it's right here mm-hmm. in Germantown at Vernon Park so tell us yes, what people can expect Northwest Corner um, and then the behind the name the name is also has a very yeah so basically um I think that grief is very, well, I don't think, I know that grief is very stigmatized. And oftentimes people who have lost somebody to drugs, especially they don't necessarily want to talk about it with other people because they want to honor a person's legacy, you know? And of course, I mean, I don't believe that using drugs is a moral failing and I don't believe you think that either, but, um, that is kind of the general society opinion, societal opinion. So 
we tend to isolate in our grief and think that we're kind of the only ones going through this. And so the goal of this event is to get people together to spend some time with their community memorializing those we've lost to drugs in Germantown. So one of those ways is I really believe in art as a healing power. And so we'll be making uh, memorial pennants, which is just like flags um, that you might see um, at a celebration or something that will uh, be dedicated to somebody that you've lost. You can bring any mementos that are obviously flat, I guess, to put on there like pictures or uh, you could make your pendant out of like a piece of clothing of that person that could feel really important. Um, and we'll be hanging those up for the week after the event in Vernon Park as kind of a public art project. But we'll also be having um, a panel of people in recovery or people that are involved in the recovery world in some way um, to talk about, that are from Germantown, to talk about how they've been affected and have a real conversation about how drug use and drug-related death affects Germantown as a community. We don't talk a lot about that. Um, and so I think it's important to hear because there's often this narrative of like these suburban um, young white kids that come in and like come to Kensington and use drugs. And that's not very much not the only narrative. And so the goal of the event is to help people realize that they're less alone in this type of unique traumatic grief. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. And the title, oh, and we'll also have resources. We're gonna be giving out Narcan. I think we'll be giving out fentanyl testers. My harm reduction team will be there if you uh, want to talk more with them about harm reduction. Um, we're gonna have AR2 there, which is a special emergency response ambulance that, um, mainly just responds to overdoses. And so they are going to be providing education um, about what you can do or, you know, just getting people more knowledge. Um, I know that you're going to have a, um, a setup there with resources and I'm open to anybody coming with any resources from the community to, to share. Um, anybody can, can bring whatever they have. So Oh, anyway, sorry. So I got off track. The um, the title "Always Beside You" I came up with it has two different meanings to me, and it might have more for others. But um, I mean, this job has definitely made me more spiritual. I think in getting to talk to people about their person, and I really believe that our loved ones that we've lost are always beside us in this life, and in whatever way you believe that is. Um, and then the other flip side is what I just talked about, which is the fact that we, in our isolation, in our grief, often don't remember that we have a full community of other people going through this loss or experiencing something similar um, that can support you and can make you feel safe and sharing. And, um, and so it's like that reminder that we're all here and we care and this matters. These deaths, these losses, your grief deeply matters. So. Mm -hmm. I love that. 
So you talked about the resources. um, And uh, I guess I'm just going to ask if this event is successful, what would you say would be that outcome? So I think, so obviously I want a lot of people to be there, but it is going to be hard to measure the impact because I'm hoping that it will be something that people take with them uh, emotionally to, to think about. And I believe in grief care as preventative care. So, you know, within people's homes, within people's families, we might not know about the impact that it has in that way. Um, but, you know, I, the hope of the event is just to connect people and realize, help them realize that the personal is political. You know, this is not a moral failing. This is not um, something that's only happening to you. It's happening all across Germantown and the Northwest. And um, so my hope is that maybe with the panel discussion or maybe discussions afterwards, like we will be able to as like the community will be able to come up with something that they want to do in the future regarding this event. And like, I'm work for the city. I'm hoping to do this in other neighborhoods. So it's not going to be me, but I want to empower people to say, okay, let's connect more often about this. Like let's get together once a month or like, let's figure out how we can support each other better. Once we've figured out, um, like, that we've both lost someone or like maybe there's a protocol that is is come up with yeah mm-hmm. um came I was like come up with came up with um around uh once you find out that somebody has experienced an overdose loss like how does that community come around them do they like you know bring things to them do they you know reach out in a certain way do we have like a telephone line like it'll be whatever Germantown community members decide. And I hope that something like that might stick from this event, just to know like, okay, we have more power and community around this and we can do something ourselves. And, you know, maybe making people feel less alone might prevent future overdose deaths. Who knows? Mm -hmm. Um, But the main goal is just connection. Absolutely. If that makes sense. No, that makes absolute sense. Honestly, goals are subjective and they're not always measured by numbers. Sometimes they're just measured Mm -hmm. by the impact and like that social impact that you actually witness um, face to face. So I think that's an amazing and realistic You know, I've had, thank you. And you know, the exciting thing about, um, I've been walking around and speaking with people, um, at, you know, different businesses. Like yesterday I spent a really long time at Germantown Espresso Bar with the owner Miles. And we talked about, I mean, it's really that from this event already before it's even happened, the conversations are leading to more collaborations and doing stuff. Like he's talked about open mic nights and like wanting to create a space for this in Germantown and um, wanting to get that off the ground. I've talked to face to face and they're like, well, let's think of things to do in the future now that we know you exist. So Mm -hmm. it's already happening and I'm really excited about that. So, um, yeah. Yeah. 
I, I, I don't makes... even know where I was going with that. But yeah. <laughs> no, but it's beautiful. It's poetic. It really is. And it makes a lot of sense. It's, it's how me and Maleka sometimes we go out to table for one thing. We end up having conversations. Maybe at some tabling events, we're successful, which means in, in numbers, right? So we have a lot of people sign up for the things that we offer. Um, they take a lot of our resource guides, things of that nature. Whereas the mm -hmm. other times we've been places and literally maybe two or three people have come up, but out of those two or three people that came up, at least two or three have you know, had a very insightful conversation and we ended up getting so much more and personal connection and understanding of like some things we didn't necessarily know about the neighborhood or even the world. And we started mm -hmm. to get our own story ideas, right? Like those connections and those interactions are just as meaningful. And I see that in this event specifically too. So what exactly you're yeah. saying- Yeah, I, I mean, just you it. and I connecting yeah. has been a huge gift to me. And I'm excited about the things that we can do together. Um, so, I mean, even if it was just that takeaway, I would say the event is a success. Yeah, I appreciate it. And I think that that's a great note to end on. Um, it was really good speaking to you again on air this time um, to just yeah. not break down the importance of this event, right? But an overall solution um, mm -hmm. or solutions to a larger mm -hmm. picture and a call for a better framework. So just right. with that said, is there anything else that you want to say? Um, well, I realized before that I forgot to say that the event is from one to four um, on this Saturday at Vernon Park in like the Northwest corner from like, like Green Street and West Rittenhouse there. Um, and the panel that we're gonna have will be from in the middle of the event from like 2.15 to 3.15 ish. Um, so if people are interested in, you know, either sitting on the panel or asking questions to the panel or anything, they can contact me. Um, my number is 267-551-0485. You can contact me anytime. Or if you hear this and you say, oh, I need this support. I've lost somebody and I'm really struggling. Reach out to me, please. 267-551-0485. Um, That's it. Well, thank you again, Caitlin. For the folks who want to check out the Always Beside You event, be sure to check it out from 1 to 4 p.m. this Saturday in Vernon Park. Mm -hmm. Caitlin, yes. thank you again for coming. It, it has been a pleasure and take care and I'll see you on Saturday. Thank you for having me. See you Saturday. All right. Thank you. Well, Germantown, it is about that time. If you have a story you want to hear covered, please contact us at gtown.infohub at gmail.com or you can text infohub to 73224 to start asking us some questions. And additionally, we encourage listeners to text the Equally Informed text line, another program under Resolve Philly, which allows Philadelphians to gain access to information regarding Philadelphia services. Equally Informed Philly is a direct response to the COVID-19 pandemic, and their team works hard to bridge the information divide, reducing barriers for vulnerable residents who need trustworthy information to live and thrive in Philly. They also invest deeply in underestimated voices and community storytellers. Equally Informed provides a community-driven print newsletter and the Equal Info line of free bilingual, English and Spanish, 
question and answer texting service that also provides vetted local news and resources to subscribers. To start asking them some questions, you can text equal info to 73224. And that's about it. Remember, I am Rashida Jamu, aka Feliz Freedom John. Thank you to our guests for joining us today. And thank you to our neighbors for listening and engaging as always. And until next time, good night, Germantown.